Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the CFD's weekly podcast. This is a new show that will be going alongside the CFD's weekly newsletter, uh, which if you haven't subscribed to, you should. And uh, we'll be speaking to interesting people through, um, throughout the CFD's retail trading world. The first, the first guest is Juan Colon, who is the co-founder and CEO of DarwinX. Um, I think a lot of people listening will probably be familiar with DarwinX, but for those of you who aren't, it's a so it's an interesting platform that lets you invest in other strategies that people have, um, and acts almost like a platform asset manager type thing. So it's it's a bit more interesting, I would say, and unique relative to a standard copy trading service. And one one other point is that this was recorded about a month and a half ago. So I think there may be some things which are out of date. For instance, at one point, Juan says that the, the platform is about to raise 100 million uh, in AUM or about, sorry, about to get 100 million AUM. And I think that's now happened already. So congrats to them. But if anything else seems a bit out of date, that is the reason. So hopefully you enjoy listening. Juan, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, I think that most people who are listening will probably be relatively familiar with DarwinX, but but for those who aren't, could you give a bit of background of the company? So what what is DarwinX? Yeah, so first point, so David, thank you so much for, for having us. It's a, it's a great opportunity. Um, so what is DarwinX? Uh, DarwinX is a marketplace where strategy providers uh, can without any infrastructure, receive um, investor capital. And where, of course, investors get access to all these strategy providers that are making the strategies available. Great. And um, I mean, can you give some background on like why you set the company up and, and also when you set the company up? Because I think it's been around for quite a while now. Yes. So uh, the I guess I can get back to my my the co-founder story. So it was my brother and me who set up the company and my brother is a, is a, a trader. Uh, and uh, back in the day, he was essentially uh, looking to onboard investors into his strategy and, and he faced this brick wall of uh, red tape operations and a whole bunch of other uh, stuff which didn't have anything to do with the quality of the strategy. And uh, at that time, he basically realized there was no online solution to essentially trade a strategy and uh, make a living out of it without having to go into full-time employment or being, being kind of taken up by like a formal job with an asset manager. And uh, yeah, we essentially set out to do that in 2012. Um, it has been a, a long journey uh, for a number of reasons, which we can go into. But um, yeah, the, we're, we're live since 2012. 15 and uh yeah we're we're doing quite well at the moment there's 65 employees uh we have uh, a number of good strategy providers and uh yeah we're seeing quite a bit of demand at the time of recording this in uh end of august 22 because uh yeah i mean the the stock market which has been on a bull run or had been on a bull run since you know god knows when i mean it looks like that might be uh, going to pause for a while, and there's quite a bit of interest in in liquid alpha, uh, like we offer. Okay, and um, can maybe we can go into a bit how how you actually 
how the, how the platform actually functions. So let's assume I'm someone that has a good trading strategy. I join Darwinx and then how, how do I raise capital or how do I get people to invest in my strategy? Is it a case mm -hmm. of like I join and then I perform well and because I've performed well, people will see that and then want to invest in what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's um, different sources of capital. We can go into that in, in, a, in a second, uh, but it all starts with a live trading account. So what we the, the, minim, the minimum and actually only prerequisite is to submit live trades onto our uh, platform. Um, with those live trades and also the trade history that uh, one might have accrued with existing broker, it's then possible to create a Darwinx account and submit uh, these trades, which then become signals that our asset manager purchases. And this basically overcomes the need for the traders to be licensed in, the, in their own right. So once that's there, um, with our technology, we essentially create an index, which can be marketed to three different audiences. The, the first one is our own, because we have a prop arm that invests in the traders. Uh, we, we see traders for 10 million a month uh, with capital that's committed for six months. Um, so, you know, first source of capital is us. Then uh, second source of capital is capital introductions from investors in our marketplace. So we, we actually market the platform to typically high net worth, ultra high net worth and uh, professional investors who are looking to diversify their, their portfolio. Um, uh, yep, yeah, so that's number two. And then we have a white label solution which makes the entire platform available to traders who seek to raise their own funds. So um, as it were, it's the three sources kind of, we are the first investor, then they can onboard their own investors. And uh, thirdly, we have investors who are looking out for good strategies. And if they like what they see, then they start out with the benefit that I mentioned that people can import the track record from their previous brokers. So they don't have to start from scratch. Okay, so could you could you elaborate a bit on the difference between two and three? So I, I understand that if you're talking about you, know, you guys giving money to someone basically to, to pursue their strategy, but when you say um, high net worth and then the, the white label part, so is the white label part sort of like a just regular retail investor or, is, or am I missing something? So the white label part is uh, everybody who wants to start out on this or a lot of them. I mean, if, you, if you're not really thinking of raising capital, you haven't really faced the hurdle, you're not really going to value the value proposition. Um, it's really for people who have set out to raise money from say friends and family and acquaintances they, they've got. And they really, that's what they realize they don't have the proper infrastructure. So uh, one of our products is essentially to legally operationally manage that bit and be able to raise by themselves. So in addition to trading, they've got a platform to also raise. That's a, that's kind of the, the white label bit. And uh, the other bit is we have upwards of a thousand active investors in the platform and they are uh, yeah, they're, they're investing you know, at, at discount uh, anywhere upwards from, on average, it's like 30, 40 K uh, tickets. This is growing a lot with investors who are investing like a, a million upwards, professional capital allocators. And they're looking out for, for strategies. There's uh, approaching 100 million AUM with very strong growth at the minute. And the top guy at this point is managing, I think it's 10 million, uh, making on a good year anywhere between 200 and 400K per year from investors wow. that we've sourced. So yeah, it's 
it's approaching the point where you know it's uh, it's, it's serious money it's not like you know uh, a side job for for the best managers yeah and so who who are the people that join the platform i mean if because uh, you, you gave the example of your brother looking for for, for capital mm -hmm. for his trading strategy but are these mm -hmm. i don't know random people who happen to be interested in trading and they've managed to come up with something uh or are they like professional fund managers or what what's the what's the sort of typical darwin x trader look like okay so i mean in if you look at this with a kind of broad mindset the consensus is that for people to run a fund below 50 to 100 million of assets under management uh it just doesn't make sense to have your own infrastructure. So that, that would be like the broadly, the broad addressable market. And within that, you know, universe of people who are currently below 50 to 100 million, there's uh, different ranges in there. So it starts off with retail traders or individuals who have been trading for like three, five years. So this is not something for newbies because it takes time to build up a track record and, and above all the confidence to, to think of managing investor capital. And uh, that's where people typ typically find us for the first time. That would be like the starting point. Of course, the only restriction is to trade a life account. So there's no, we don't place filters. People can start out from scratch, but it takes them, you know, we're not really massively advertising the platform. So, you know, it takes people looking to find us. Um, beyond that, there's uh, people who are already managing some money like the first half million a million thinking of scaling that and they come across the platform they like the idea of also kind of landing so-called free assets in the sense that our prop capital and the investors we introduce are incremental to whatever they've got and it doesn't really cost any 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 um, down payment uh, and that goes all the way to um, people who've already taken the leap and uh, are looking to say onboard retail uh, customers in many cases hedge funds cannot really onboard retail capital they get approached by uh, individuals who want to invest 50 75k which is not something they can onboard into the fund vehicle so they they like uh, their white label solution for for that uh, also the opportunity to um yeah really market in other jurisdictions so we have us ctas who are looking to market in europe don't have the licenses and uh, this is a way to do that so yeah it goes all the way from uh, aspiring managers to professional managers who haven't made the step beyond 50 million, who actually will not make make the step in many cases, because many of the strategies just don't scale to the size that are that kind of funds a fund. So you know, it's anybody who's got anywhere between half a million and uh, sort of 10 million AUM. That's the sweet spot that we offer, I think. Okay. And one of the things you also touched on was how, how it's structured. So you said something about you take the signals and then turn it into a type of index or something like that. I mean, yeah. if I, if I compare it to, to something, I suppose, which is a bit more simplistic, which is like the average copy trading on, on that some brokers offer, uh, mm -hmm. my understanding with that, right. Is that someone has a strategy, you, you follow them, whatever it's called. And then whatever trades they open, your account will just mimic it. So you're not really, it's not like say a, a fund where you're buying units in the fund, the fund manager mm -hmm. takes it, takes that money and then invests it how they see fit. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, you're just mimicking whatever someone else is doing. 
So mm -hmm. how, how can you explain a bit how, how that works? Because it's my understanding is it's, it's quite different from like a regular copy trading service, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, the, the logic of the service, that is that it, it kind of a fund has a number of restrictions. For instance, uh, it cannot be distributed everywhere. Uh, it's a one size fits all. You buy into a fund, everybody has the same uh, risk exposure. Everybody pays the same fees. Uh, there's a number of restrictions that come with a fund, not to mention the, the cost of setting it up that just don't make sense uh, in in a world like like now. There's that we can go into kind of the, from the standpoint of the the uh, the investor. There's other benefits, but no need to touch upon that. Uh, but yes, it's true. There's an element of replica trading in that David, who's the manager, he's going to place a trade in his account, and then my account is going to replicate it. And I deliberately use the the word replicating because that does not imply that I, as an investor, know David's real time trade. Uh, so the, the core difference is that it's a blind replica from my standpoint, which means David can rest assured, can rest assured or yes, that um, I'm not going to bypass fee payment by say claiming I'm copying with a grand and then using the fact that I, that buys me access to your trades, then using that 10 million to trade, so to say behind your back. Um, that, and, and, and from then, follows a number of benefits. The next benefit is, of course, that you know that you're going to collect fees on whatever assets you're going to, you're really managing, as opposed to what the other guy is doing. We've already had cases of so-called managers who have used the signals they bought from some other provider and resold them on our platform. Uh, and of course, that sounds like, you know, who would do that? But the better the strategy, the bigger the temptation to do just that, right? So. Um, and that goes back to the point of so-called social trading, right? Social trading is a bit like communism in the sense that no good manager would give away their signals in a, in a platform if they're not reassured that their intellectual property is safe and also that they're going to collect the fees, because uh, what's the point otherwise to, to give, uh, to do that. So, uh, yes, there's a, there's a real time replica element, but then the incentive alignment scheme is completely different the moment we go from that and this is deliberate because we actually set up the the platform to be able to meet all the requirements that a good hedge fund manager would uh would want that's yeah uh yeah i'm not sure that was like a long winding answer but the, the point is uh no good good no good manager would let people uh copy their trades and everything we've done yeah. is built on that premise and that's this is about i think Okay. So I have a couple of questions on the back of that. So one is if, let's say I want to invest in a particular strategy, I see someone who's delivering whatever, these, some, some amazing returns per year and has a, a great track record. If, if it's blind, do you mean it's blind in the sense of like real time? Because if, let, let's say I wanted to invest in a particular strategy or mm -hmm. like even beyond the Dominex, right? If I, if I want to invest in a particular fund, I'll look at, say, what stocks the manager is holding and how they're weighted to them and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you're looking at someone, but how, how, how do you judge someone's track records? If no, so we, I mean, like, so like yeah. there's a couple of points. So, um, so ultimately there's a balance here between what the manager is willing to show. So the, the investor would like to see everything, right? I mean, that's the, that, that's the thing. But then the, 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 the manager doesn't want to give everything away for fear of, uh, yeah, kind of being abused, right? So that's kind of, the, there's a tension in there. 
from our standpoint, the red line is live trades. So when I said replica is the investor does not know the live trades. Uh, having said yeah. that, we provide full disclosure as to what the assets are that are traded, timeframes. I mean, I invite anybody listening to this, they can go into Darwinix and they can see there's a lot of disclosure, but uh, we do not publish the live trades or the recent live trades, because uh, otherwise that would yeah, that would be an, an issue from the standpoint of the of, of the manager. Uh, also, the manager has control over degrees of disclosure. So there's a minimum disclosure we give out for all investors, regardless of what the manager thinks. But for instance, it's possible for the manager to show historical trades, um, but it's his prerogative to choose to show or withhold that in the in the interface. That would be uh, another example. And uh, you've touched upon a good point in that there is, um, and that's another difference from copy trading. The investor does not have any contractual agreement with the traders. The investor only has an agreement with our platform um, because we act as the, we hold FCA and uh, EU licenses to, to be able to manage assets. Uh, and what that does is it provides the manager with legal cover to monetize their strategies, but it also puts us in a position where our incentives are aligned with the investor. So the last thing we want is for a manager to blow up and their capital with it. So we have a, and this is why we, this is the core of the secret source in our, in our model is we have developed a proprietary risk engine that monitors real-time exposure for investors and does not intervene as long as the trader um, be behaves within their historical patterns, but does intervene in the moment that any new trade or the accumulation of existing trades will lead to excess risk or more risk than is typical for the profile of the strategy. And this essentially means that good strategies go in and come out uh, unchanged, um, but bad strategies or strategies which are not consistent are subject to this control precisely to protect the the franchise of both ours, but also the other investors, because the last thing you want is one guy to blow up basically means the investor pulls the plugs on, on all the strategies, not just the one that's gone belly up. And, and this, I think, is the yeah. other bit that sets us apart, right? I mean, but everything follows from the need to protect the intellectual property of the trader and not discuss the live trades, plus the want to pr meet all the requirements. Copy trading was in a gray area from a regulatory standpoint 10 years ago. It wasn't clear whether or not the party offering the signals or the copies, uh, that the option of copy was actually engaging in managing assets uh, since 2015, I believe, ESMA made it clear that anybody offering strategies for people to copy is actually engaging either in investment advice or investment management. And you cannot do that or you shouldn't really do that without a license. Okay. So, I mean, there's a couple more questions on the back of that. So one is, can you maybe talk a bit about the, the risk management tool you mentioned? So what, what does that actually mean? I mean, are you saying mm -hmm. that if someone, let's say I run a strategy and you put it, you have certain parameters where if I go beyond them in terms of taking on too much risk, you will somehow no. close trades so, or stop the strategy. Okay. So there, there's an element that, um, that I haven't discussed in that as a marketplace, we 
it's impossible to create a marketplace if different strategies have different risk profiles, because of course the, the ones that run the higher risks, they have the opportunity of generating higher return, right? And that would essentially make the marketplace, I mean, that kind of breaks the marketplace logic because strategies are not strictly comparable to each other. So what our risk engine does is take the incoming risk in the signal and scale that to a set risk level, which is common to all strategies in the platform. So as a strategy provider, you can do, because remember you're trading your own monies, right? So you can do with your own monies, essentially whatever you want, um, want because it's your own money. So let's say on a bad month, you could lose up to 30%, which is a measure of volatility. Uh, and then what you're one of the traders, uh, and but actually your risk adjusted results aren't great. Now I'm another trader and I run very conservative volatility on my own account. Let's say on a really bad month, I could lose 2%. So what we do with those two strategies is first point, we're not going to intervene as long as you run your usual risk or lower. So David, you're free to do whatever you want, but you, we want you to be consistent. So what we don't want is you, you've been trading with a volatility, like a potential risk of the kind of 30% for argument's sake, and then you triple that overnight. That would not be okay. That's when the risk engine would intervene. If you stay within your risk profile, what we'll do is gear down your strategy to the anchor, let's say to make the worst month compatible with a 10% loss, and similarly, we'll take the Juan strategy and gear it up because that way we've rendered both the Juan and the David strategy comparable for risk. So really what we're doing is scaling risk to the target. We're not really intervening as long as you do whatever it is you've been doing. But if all of a sudden you say went out of your own parameters, which you've set, then we'll give you some tolerance range. But once you overstep that mark, then we will intervene on behalf of the investors to make sure that they stay within the 10% risk, which is what we've promised, which is what, what's comparable to all the other uh, strategies in the platform. I mean, that's a kind of a pretty complex thing, but the, the point I want to make is yeah. we're not forcing you to trade in any way. All we're asking is whichever way you've chosen to trade in the past, you should keep that going forward. And if you change, you should do that only gradually. Okay. But what, so, but what would that mean if there was, I don't know, let's, let's say if you were looking at the past 12 months, someone yeah. might have, have been happy to take 12 months ago a lot of risk and then yeah. uh, completely change strategies in, say, February when, when the war in Ukraine started or in Q4 of last year when people started to get really uh, anxious about inflation. So mm. how, I mean, how, would, how would you respond to that? Because presumably that would be... You know, people want to be nimble and change change how they behave according to market conditions to some extent. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe, so, maybe they don't, so, I don't know. No, no, so like nimble means, I mean, if nimble means I'm going to gear down my, my leverage by 30% or I'm going to increase it by 30%, that's within the tolerance range. What is not okay is okay. I'm going to lever my trades five times as much as I've always done because that's just like a, you know, a systemic change. It's an order of magnitude change in the risk taking. And, uh, yeah, that's just not, I mean, you, you can do with your own monies, whatever you want, but if you run a fund, I mean, you can't just promise I'm going to run this risk and just like, you know, one day you wake up and you grab a machine gun and just do whatever you want. Right. That that's, it's the same. It's basically a professional. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an algorithmic engine which mimics the behavior of a professional risk manager with an extra benefit that, in this case, a uh, difference to a fund, the risk manager does not report to the CEO or the front office of the fund. There's a, there's a 
good separation of front office and middle office in, in, in the setup. Yeah. So, so it's in a way, it's kind of like if you're setting up, let's say an investment trust in the UK, you will agree with your board to have a set level of gearing and you can't basically, you can't go beyond that. So you can um, go up to, let's say 20% net gearing, but you, you can't go beyond that. Because so it, that it's would, that, diff that it's different. So like, the, I guess the agreement with the board is you're going to trade no higher than 20% gearing and no lower than 10% gearing because what we want is a consistent product. And then what we do then do is translate that gearing into the what the investor wants. So there's nothing wrong if the investor wants, and that this is one of the benefits relative to a fund. If the investor wants 5% uh, gearing, then there's no issues investing into the strategy. All we do is take the signal or the incoming master strategy, which goes at 20% 20 gearing, and we scale that down by a factor of four. But the important thing uh, is okay. that the incoming signal stays constant because if we know it's uh, it's a 20% um, gearing, then it's tr trivial to convert that into a four or six or, or what have you. So okay. all we ask so, for is um, consistency. We're not putting a straight jacket on what the manager can do. All we're saying is whatever behavior you've had, you have to stay within a certain tolerance bounds, which we can, by the way, adjust the nature of the strategy, but you can't just do whatever pleases you on a Monday morning, right? That's, that's just not the way things work. Yeah. 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 No, that's okay. That's clear. So, um, uh, yeah, on a slight, slightly different note on the, on the fees side of things. So if yeah. I, um, th this is always confusing a bit with copy trading, right? Where yeah. if I, if I think about a, a normal asset manager, they will say have a hundred million AUM and then they'll take like one, 1%, let's say, uh, annual fee, but they, they, they are really in control of those assets, right? Whereas mm -hmm. with a, with a, some kind of, uh, copying system or mimicking system, whatever you want to call it, they're not really in control of them. You're just, so someone is just mimicking what you're, you're doing with your funds or your strategy. So how, how does the, how does the fees work in that sense? And, and also how does it, how does it work at your end? Is there some kind of profit share for someone who performs well or? So, I mean, we're no, we're no different from the fund, as you mentioned. So our, our offer is 1.2% management fee and 20% success fee on the AUM that we manage. So they come in with 100 million and they know they're going to pay 1.2 million management fee and they're going to pay 20% of the upside uh, as, the, as the high watermark on a quarterly basis um, runs over. So we're, it's exactly the same thing. Um, and the way it works, to come back to your point on the, on the fee share is we will collect that from the investor because the investor is technically a client of our asset manage, uh, management company. Yep. And then out of that, we've entered into a commercial relationship for signal provision with the signal provider, whereby we'll pay a consideration, um, which amounts to by default, 75% of the success fee. So we collect from the investor 20% success fee and we pay up to the manager 15% success fee. And then we will uh, also co collect the management fee and typically keep it um, until, of course, if it's a big uh, manager, it's in our interest to keep them in and we will be able to reach more bespoke share agreements. But uh, yeah, so works just like uh, a traditional asset manager because facing the investor, we are a traditional asset manager. The, the difference here is that in addition to fund structures, which are only make sense from a certain amount of money, we also offer ma managed account structures, which which are the same thing without the constraints of, um, of a fund in, in that way. 
Um, and then, by the way, this this fee uh, fee sharing applies to the investors that we source for for the um, for the manager because we are doing the capital intro. If they are acquiring their own investors, then they set their own fee schedule, and uh, we just collect a fifty percent platform fee from the investor. Uh, sorry, a fifty basis point platform fee from the investor. So the investor pays us zero point five percent of the AUM so that we can make the infrastructure available to him. And the manager sets whatever fees they want to collect from the investor, we collect them and pass them on. Okay. And, and on, the, on the investor front, do you, are you finding that majority of AUM is coming from people that you're finding the sort of high net worth people you described, or is it more people that are just, I don't know, organically finding Darwin X and then thinking it's interesting and investing in mm-hmm. strategies or some, some sort of mix of the two? Mm-hmm. So as a, as a company, I mean, building this thing has been an extremely complex and expensive process. And what that has meant is that all our efforts have gone into actually building the thing. Um, we, we've grown, I mean, I guess we must be one of the few companies out there that's grown organically to 65 employees without a marketing team, which we only wow. basically put in place uh, six months ago. And uh, we have a minimal so-called sales team, which doesn't really sell. What we do is kind of uh, respond to the best of our abilities to incoming leads. And uh, what we typically found is that people start out with like relatively small allocations to to test and then gradually uh, add to to it. And that's been a good source of growth up to now. We are seeing that, you know, we're, we're at a point now where we have uh, a lot of confidence in the managers that we're attracting. The platform is now also uh, about to be connected to interactive brokers. So we, we know there's going to be a steady flow of managers who already have um, con- consistent strategies and we're you know, going to start ramping out. But I think the profile of investors that we've got, and I think the the sweet spot is knowledgeable investors who who are familiar with what it is to invest in a, in a trading strategy or a, like a, an alternative strategy. And what they value the most is the the toolkit that we offer for them to x-ray their strategies in ways that they couldn't do before or that they didn't have didn't want to go into the expense and effort to go one by one Uh, so this is like typically professional allocators starting out with 250k tickets um as a test um, allocation and then scaling up to one five ten million uh, beyond which if you're allocating 10, more than 10 million per strategy, that probably means you've got 200 million to allocate. And at that point, it probably makes sense to have your own infrastructure. But um, yeah, that's kind of a sweet spot. Typically, yeah, uh, hundreds to millions of allocation. With, so with the interactive brokers thing you just mentioned, what would mm-hmm. what would that entail? So as in if I'm, if I'm a customer of interactive brokers, I can just see strategies on Darwin X and invest in them, something like that? No, or, it's actually no. the other way around. So the interactive brokers integration works from the supply side. So if you, are a, you hold an interactive brokers account and you want to make your track record available to our investors, then you literally sign up with Darwin X, uh, give us the your, your account number, and then that then connects your interactive brokers account to our um, replica reception services or signal reception infrastructure. And that basically means without any extra costs, you can just yeah be in the marketplace. Uh, and then also in many cases, for instance, um, friends and family accounts with interactive brokers, because the regulation and the compliance is, is really going up a lot. I know interactive brokers are shutting down these friends and family accounts for people who are not demonstrably friends and family. And that was quite a bit of demand precisely for the white label product 
because of that. So the way that works is they connect the their existing account and then as uh, they're eligible immediately for the prop allocation and the marketplace allocation. Plus they can then gear up their sales efforts uh, and onboard their existing customers onto the white label solution. Oh, very interesting. And uh, what, on a slightly different note, so one one of the things that interested me was basically how how the platform functions in terms of just what you can invest in or what you can trade. So, I mean, I'm assuming most of the people people on the platform are like traders or have a hedge fund style way of, of trying to make money as opposed to like you know long term buy and hold in equities. Mm-hmm. So if you are if you do have a strategy on the platform, is there is there like a set are you limited effectively by the products that Darwinx offers or is, or is that mm-hmm. not the case? Uh, so yes, you're limited by the products that we offer because the, the the platform can you know the, it's not possible to the pipes only work for a certain set of assets. Um, ha- having said that, the the universe I think is is broad enough in that I mean the, the core restriction is liquid assets only uh, because by virtue of this um, replica system we, we just don't want any risks of like front running or, or issues on, on on that front. That that's the first point. Um, the, the second is really Delta One assets. What that means is we do not support option strategies at this time. But within that universe, you've got um, all the major futures contracts. Of course, you've got um, the top thousand US equities, shortly also to add European equities. You've got all the major FX crosses uh, and all the major commodity contracts and rates as well. So, and ETFs. So, essentially, as long as you're doing anything liquid, which is non which is, has a Delta one, so there's, so there's no Greeks or anything, then it's eligible for for uh, being processed by down the pipes. It's true that our heritage comes from a high higher frequency trading. So this like trading strategies with holding periods in the hours to days, um, but nothing stops the infrastructure from containing long only uh, strategies with, with uh, longer periods. I mean, it, it's actually, it lends itself to processing anything which trades those assets, um, as I've mentioned. Uh, and I guess the proof of the pudding is the eating, right? So we don't really care how well do you, how you produce the alpha or the beta as long as you actually produce it. Yeah. And what, I mean, one of the things that I also found interesting and wasn't entirely sure about is, I, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the products you can trade are structured as CFDs. So you're just trading mm-hmm. future, I guess in, in a lot of instances, if you were trading an index, I mean, I suppose if you have futures now, maybe that people would just use those instead. But yeah. the way mostly a lot of CFD providers set up, right? They're just mark. They are the market maker, or mm-hmm. they will be book most of the flow that's going their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Clearly, if if you have people who are actually making money and you're just be booking everything, you won't make any money. You'll, you'll probably be losing. So, how I mean, how are things structured on that front? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is one of the things that we've been suffering over the years, and that, uh, that the reason we started out with uh, CFDs was that. A CFD is actually, in and of itself, I think, a great instrument for people yeah. to build diversified portfolios with limited capital, and, and which is typically the, the restriction to apply to our target base, right? They, they, you know, if you want to trade multiple algos in futures, then you're looking at hundreds, uh, hundred, you know, like hundreds of thousands in in equity to to manage your own future strategy. And there's not that many people who who have that to, to begin with. So the idea with the CFDs was to offer sort of fractional trading for people to do this, right? Um, 
Now, of course, if we build the platform to to have winning investors, I mean, what we're trying to build here is a win-win outcome where the better the strategies, the easier it is to raise, and the more we've raised, the easier it is to get to attract good strategies, which sort of feeds the success stories that are at our heart. Um, so no, we don't really make. Uh, our goal is not to make money from from losing customers. That that's not the way we we operate. Um, and then this change to like this interactive progress integration and the expansion of the asset universe basically says we wanted to move away from this stigma where you're in a market where you're not doing something that everybody else is doing, but because you're in the market, people just don't believe that you're not doing it, and uh, that that's been a very very painful. Uh, thing for yeah. us to suffer, uh, and we yeah, we're very happy. We're kind of past that stage because there's no way for us to make money on an exchange listed instrument other than uh, you know offering good execution. And then similarly, the the, the fees are the asset management side of things are only related to yeah the, the performance at the AUM, which means we're a standard asset manager, and what that means yeah. is it's in our interest to minimize brokerage charges, uh, because that grows the performance, which is the ultimate engine on all our business model. Yeah. And um, I mean, out of interest, who is backing the company? Do you have do you have investors? Have you had to I know I saw you like raise money, but I think it was more just for regulatory reasons rather than needing to expand or something like that. So mm -hmm. who, who's uh, yeah, who's who's given you their backing Can you, if you're able to talk about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's basically the the, the founders, uh, my, you know, my my family. We have invested a substantial chunk of our of our wealth into the the company, and then we have raised money from, yeah, essentially professionals close to myself who have trusted us over the years. We've actually been one of the few companies to raise upwards of ten million euros uh, in in this way. Uh, that that's quite a quite a chunk of money without yeah. going to an institutional investor. But what that has done is give us um, plenty of freedom to build our baby in the way that we thought it had to be built and uh, run on our own timescales in the sense that um, we've been very cautious in terms of funding the model as organically as possible. Yes, we've taken our money to build the infrastructure, but uh, the goal has always been to cover our operational costs. Um, we operate at or close to break even, depending on how much we want to accelerate or not. But what that does is, you know, it, and this is important to many of our best customers, is for them to know that it's our company, we're here to stay, and we run the shots. And um, from our standpoint, we obviously, once a company grows, it may, may make sense to take on outside funding or institutional outside funding. But we will be very mindful of with whom we do it and when we do it, because it's only when you have extreme growth that that makes sense in our in our opinion. Yeah. So I'm not sure Great. that answers the question. It's basically it's, a, it's, a, it's individual people <laughs> who who know financial markets very well who have invested in a private capacity. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's a, that's a, the short answer. Um, but maybe, so maybe maybe to finish off, could you talk a bit about um, just an, any interesting future plans you have? I mean, interactive broker sounds very exciting. Is there is there anything else on the horizon that you think is is worth uh, is worth talking about? Yeah. So um, we're trying to pivot. Our, so like we've taken steps to pivot our 
business model away from brokerage revenue onto either asset management fees or uh, subscription fees. So we're working on a model to offer the managers the option of, of paying on a subscription basis to list their, their, their strategies in the, in the platform. Uh, and then, of course, connect the platform with even more um, trading platforms so that uh, people can do not have to switch over to the interactive progress ecosystem or MT4, MT5. The idea is to go and support, you know, the likes of uh, TradingView at the more retail end or CQG and, and TT at the, at the more professional level. So, yeah, ultimately, it's kind of more platforms, more assets uh, and uh, just iterate on the existing model to solve a number of the structural issues that it's got. For instance, eventually we will get rid of this replica system to make sure that the trader goes in a block with their investors, um, expand into cryptos, be able to cover other ge geographies. Yeah, but it's uh, the, the core concept is a marketplace where uh, managers get rid of their infrastructure and uh, race in a, without any fully within the regulation and then offering investors access to talent uh, from a turnkey environment uh, without any operational friction. Okay, well, that sounds very good. And uh, I, I wish you all the best. Thanks very much for, for joining me. It was really interesting. Uh, and yeah. uh, if, if anyone is interested, just I suppose just head to the Darwin X website. Correct. Yeah. So thanks a lot, David. I mean, apologies for the kind of sometimes long winded answers, but I, I, you know, I, I like to, to kind of get the context and explain the reason why we do things the way we do them. So yeah, thanks for your patience. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it, it's, uh, it's, it, it, they weren't long winded at all. They were, yeah. Thanks okay. very much again. And, uh, thanks for everyone for listening. We'll, uh, hopefully be back soon with another exciting guest. So goodbye.